much talk over the last 24 hours has been uh, the focus on uh, reform, road mapping Aboriginal communities into the future there. Go back about 50 years uh, with your thoughts and uh, around it then Aboriginal people weren't really even included in the census uh, 50 years ago. The state would have had about a population of 800,000 people as well and a lot of the wealth with industry was generated from uh, forestry and uh, logging with uh, farming down south and even iron ore was just starting to trickle through the port of Dampier. Aboriginal people with uh, these uh, early changes have always been on the fringes and of course with the walk-offs of, of stations uh, brought populations uh, closer to town which has been why some of the communities have been uh, set up along with some of the, the historical purposes which were missions uh, there to begin with. Now WA population has uh, changed. Uh, we've got something like about uh, 2.6 million people uh, living here and a population of about 95,000 Aboriginal people with around about 30,000 living in townships and another 15, 12 or so living on communities and outstations. So with this we've been talking about uh, community closures because it's those times when walk-offs happened and uh, due to government uh, encouragement as well Aboriginal people have uh, went out there and, and uh, set up their own little areas uh, that uh, very much uh, blown out the numbers in the communities we have remotely, so it's very much an assistance there to self-sufficiency is what the minister and the team is aiming for. Minister, welcome. Good morning. It's good to be with you, Sandy. Certainly nice uh, once again to have your company. Busy time with all of what's been released in the last a day or so and finally concluding in uh, suppose a vision to what's to happen perhaps with proposed closures of Aboriginal communities. Yes, we're uh, very pleased yesterday in Kununurra uh, to release uh, the roadmap uh, for reform into remote and regional communities for Aboriginal people. It's focused on the Kimberley and Pilbara. That was our first focus area. And the whole package not only includes the roadmap, which is uh, giving us some future directions, but of course it doesn't have all the answers. Uh, there's a long way to go yet. But sitting alongside it is a housing package of $200 million, an education package in the Kimberley of $25 million, an employment package uh, through government agencies setting uh, good stretch targets for their employment 
base within their organisations and also in the Pilbara region, $20 million for support for reform and better outcomes in town-based reserves. So it's a comprehensive package giving some certainty to the future now for Aboriginal people in the Kimberley and Pilbara and I think it's a a fantastic uh, start. We've got a long way to go and I'm very pleased in the early stages we seem to have the support of Aboriginal leaders and the commentary has been good so far. Minister, now that the dust is kind of settling, there's been comment from other parts of the state where the Aboriginal community's population isn't so great. Yes, uh, the focus has been on the Kimberley and Pilbara. Uh, we're going to bring the goldfields, uh, eastern goldfields, into it at the end of this year. Um, we made an early decision to focus on the north because that's where not only most of the communities are by number, but also most of the people that live in the remote communities. To give you an idea, uh, we have a total of 274 remote Aboriginal communities in Western Australia and uh, about 12,000 people and about uh, 3,000 people that live in the town-based reserves. Uh, so the focus is on the north. That's what this package is about. And hopefully uh, the, the roadmap has enough integrity uh, to carry the political divide because we know that to get change and get better outcomes, uh, we have to uh, do this over a long period of time, and I think it's robust enough to, uh, to carry that. And I might add, uh, I've spoke on your show before, uh, all of the people we spoke to when I've visited communities, when I've talked to Aboriginal leaders, when I've talked to commentators, say that the the status quo, that is the conditions, uh, the circumstances, the uh, issues of um, overcrowding, the issues of employment levels, the issues of education levels are unacceptable. So the status quo is unacceptable. We have to change that. That's what this roadmap's all about. Minister, also assisting you is the Honourable Andrea Mitchell, she's the Minister for uh, Child Protection. That's right. Uh, when we started this process off under a subcommittee of Cabinet uh, chaired by the Aboriginal Affairs Minister Peter Collier, uh, two ministers uh, were taking lead on this reform process. It was myself and Helen Morton. Of course, uh, back in March there was a, a Cabinet change and Helen's no longer a minister. Andrea Mitchell's picking up that role, so Andrea Mitchell and myself now have carriage of it. And we were both in, uh, in, in the last couple of days, in fact, we've been in uh, Carrathra and Roburn, we've been in Port Hedland, we've been in Kununurra. Uh, just talking to people about uh, the way forward. And uh, pleasingly, uh, there's enough people out there prepared to take some risk, prepared to uh, support reform and support change, because if we don't, we go back to where we are now, and that's unacceptable. There's also been no secret into the type of direction Aboriginal people wanted to take, because it's always been about self-determination and mainstreaming a lot of the services have been kind of done already such as all of the human services resources will all of those types of responsibility go back to aboriginal groups that are currently supporting such assistances to communities one strong theme that came from our consultation over the last 12 months is that if you set a government policy at a state level, it doesn't work everywhere, particularly in the Aboriginal communities. So the focus on a lot more work that still has to be done is a place-based approach to delivery of government services and co-design with Aboriginal people so we can ensure that uh, when we do spend resource, when we do deliver those services, it's done in concert with Aboriginal people, respecting the culture, respecting uh, heritage and the like uh, to ensure we've got a better than even chance of actually having that service actually make a difference. So yes, we're moving away from this top-down approach 
engaging with communities in a co-design approach to get better outcomes. A lot of work to be done in that area yet, but the, the, uh, the actual roadmap gives us focus on future work that needs to deliver those outcomes. Going back to the Honourable Andrew Mitchell, families also take a big perspective in this because it's through the housing development projects that are being done there to assist family with the transition and incentives for education. I suppose that's the whole idea of the future. Yes, uh, when you look at the opportunities for Aboriginal people, and this is about presenting opportunities where there isn't opportunities now, um, the key things that we've picked off with early investments are things that we know are important and we know work. Transitional housing, for example, uh, been trialled in the East Kimberley. We've made investments now in Broome and Derby, uh, investments in Halls Creek, where uh, if someone is locked in a Homes West house, if they get a job, they lose their house. This is about supplying a house if you have a job. So it's changing the incentive. And of course, part of it is also about having your children going to school better than 85% of the time. So housing is very critical. There's an educational program we're rolling out in the Kimberley, $25 million, uh, focused on on changing the way we deliver education. So there's an in-school component, targeted evidence-based teaching processes, but also uh, a focus in the community, recognising that the community and, as you say, the families are the starting point and the building blocks of a good educational outcome. It's important that we engage communities and families in that process, and that's what the education uh, program is about as well. I was also amazed to see since uh, the Aboriginal Affairs Act, the Lands Trust, 1972, with Aboriginal land tenure, we've seen Aboriginal people take up opportunities in towns through assisted housing projects. It looks like with uh, the communities, what will happen there as there are sort of big changes there with the selection of just 10 to work with at the end of this year or this year? Yeah, there's um, a body of work uh, in town-based reserves, uh, which is ALT land, and uh, the history has been we've been trying to divest that. That remains government policy. So we're putting a focused effort on getting better outcomes for those that live on town-based reserves, either to stay on those in consultation with the communities and getting better services or to move into better facilities in some of the bigger centres. But the focus in this announcement yesterday is in the Pilbara region. There's eight town-based reserves. Two of those uh, no one lives on. So we're moving towards strategies to improve tenure outcomes uh, and uh, divest ourselves of the ALT estate to the betterment of Aboriginal people. So that's a, a target process. But there's a whole body of work around tenure that still needs to be done. We had tenure raised pretty regularly with us uh, on our tours and my visitation to many communities and talking to Aboriginal leaders. And there's a lot of work to be done to get outcomes that uh, actually deliver an opportunity for Aboriginal people rather than have them constrained on uh, a tenure that doesn't give them scope to be able to take up economic development opportunities. But rightly pointed out in the report, native title can be a murky issue to work through. Yes, um, the whole native title process 
arguably was meant to get many better outcomes. People have said, well, no, we don't seem to be seeing that. So as I said, we've got work to do uh, on, on, on tenure. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do, uh, which the roadmap gives us guidance towards, but it's very focused work. Um, the work doesn't stop now. Just because we've written this report, it doesn't mean that it all stops. We've got the whole reform unit, which is 22 people headed up by Graham Sill, still progressing all the initiatives that were that the uh, that the cabinet has supported through this uh, through this roadmap. And um, I'm, I'm confident that the starting point we've laid out and some of the future directions uh, have the credibility uh, that it deserves. It was done in concert with uh, many Aboriginal leaders. Of course, you can't consult with everybody. That's impossible. And uh, the strong advice we were getting from the uh, the reference group, Aboriginal people on the reference groups, was to say, we need to start doing something. So let's get on with doing something. I don't think anyone sh- should be threatened with the roadmap. Uh, there should be certainty now. Uh, for those that live in Aboriginal communities uh, about what some of the future might hold for them. And, of course, we're backing it up with some significant investments, in fact, nearly a quarter of a billion dollars of investment uh, to move this forward. So I think that should give people confidence that government's on their side here. Speaking of investments and and money in 2014, something like about $4.9 billion through state and Commonwealth spending was spent on Aboriginal communities, and then in fact, it worked out to be something like about uh, fifty-three thousand per person in the Kimberley and Pilbara. Yes, that's right. Um, it's a lot of money. Um, I think the point out of that is that there's no shortage of money in the mix here, and I think um, everywhere we went, uh, there was a lot of criticism about how effective the money that is being spent now uh, is being spent and, and whether it's actually changing outcomes. So a lot of the work that still needs to be done is um, place-based expenditure. So we've done the assessment of what money is actually going into some of these communities. So I guess the classic example is Roburn, which we went into uh, two days ago, has got 63 service providers providing over 200 services for 1,400 people without any tangible benefit or change in outcomes. We need to uh, we need to interrogate that in concert with the community, and they're on side to doing this. They want to get a better outcome. So if you can redirect that money to make a better outcome, then that's what we're about. But that's got to be done in concert with the communities and understanding of the culture, Aboriginal culture, as we pathway that forward. Also, looking at the educational side of things that was talked about, interesting figures came out with those on communities in comparison to towns and just the general population at large with where statistics lay? Yes, um, terrible outcomes. And and one thing that was important to both Andrea and myself when we released this, this roadmap was we didn't want to gloss over the issues. We wanted to state the issues as they are because uh, it's important we do that, because that's the starting point. Um, I'm an educationalist myself, so therefore value education as a strategy to uh, get into the economy and and, and get into enterprise. Um, So a strong theme through through the roadmap was about addressing the causal issues. You and I could talk for days on all the symptoms, uh, which is what you're you're talking about here, but it's important that we address the causes to stop those symptoms emerging. Education's one of those. We need to do a better job of that, but it needs to be in such a way as Aboriginal people can walk the two worlds that they're in. They can respect their culture, their heritage, but ensuring that we get an education for a child so that child can be successful wherever they live, whether it's in a remote community or whether it's overseas somewhere. They need to be able to have the opportunity to be successful. This is about presenting that opportunity. 
there was also a lot of focus there on health with chronic diseases and yes statistics were taken from abs and uh, closing the gaps at parts and that's i suppose the vision that's ex- assisting the reform with the uh, um roadmap to reform and where where do you feel aboriginal run aboriginal medical services lay We've got some terrible outcomes. I've, I've heard of uh, kids presenting with scabies, uh, which is a largely a product of environmental health in, in some of their living conditions. The, um, and, uh, and we're being quite explicit. We're not, we're not hiding uh, those issues. What we are saying in the roadmap is that when we do make government investment, when we say we want to support better municipal services, better, uh, better electricity, water, sewage services, that that comes with some mutual responsibilities. Part of those responsibilities will be around attendance at school. Part of those responsibilities will, will be around uh, community health, uh, which ensures that we have uh, safe, healthy environments for kids to be brought up in, and therefore you don't have those issues. And this is what I mean by trying to target the causes of issues, but using government investment as the tool to do that. Housing's got currency. Housing was very important to people, so therefore in, in housing and maintenance of houses and, and putting the effort into getting better living conditions, there is also some responsibilities that must go with that. We want to invest in those communities that actually want to support reform and support change um, by embracing on an opt-in basis. Hopefully there will be some shining lights out there of good examples of kids' educational pathways, healthy outcomes, and therefore communities that maybe didn't choose to be a part of it may choose to be a part of it in the future because they know that that is a pathway to better outcomes. Also, Minister, just with some of those communities, it was interestingly enough, it was pointed out that some of them are there through historical times like missions and uh, others sprung up but during the pastoral movement and the movement of stations and I suppose for other reasons uh, with family returning back to country, which has also been a big push over the years, especially with the native title focuses and whatnot. So with the 10 communities uh, that have been selected uh, perhaps to work with this year, will they originally become towns? Yes, there's um, there's recognition in the roadmap that there's a significant um, backlog of investment if we are going to have the services in these communities being the same as similar sized towns in the southwest, hundreds of millions of dollars. And um, one of the reasons that it's where it is is because there's uh, it's either on unallocated crown land or some other form of tenure that's not uh, not freehold or not similar to what the towns are in the southwest. So there's a range of reasons for why we've got to where we are, but there's recognition that there's a significant amount of investment that needs to happen. We are saying that we've got to start somewhere. So by the end of this year, we'll have identified 10 of the bigger communities where, is, where there is uh, growth and economic and employment opportunities and education opportunities and start systematically investing in those in concert with those communities, so in consultation with them, with those mutual responsibilities I talked about. And it might even be that there's one or two communities that we want to transition into a town, turn it into a proper town where there's you know, proper roads, where there's um, identified you know, land, uh, land lots that people can buy and own, 
Um, but again, there's a lot of work to be done to get to that point. But it's recognising that some of the bigger communities probably should be towns. If they're happy to pathway that way, then that's an option for them. I was also very surprised that it was also noted that in Queensland, only 18 communities there with a coverage of about uh, 20,000 people residing. Yeah, if you look at, you know, we have uh, 274 remote communities, but that ranges from, you know, little seasonal places that are only uh, have people there from part of the year to, to one or two houses to some pretty substantial communities. And uh, the profile's um, probably much the same over in Queensland. They call the little ones outstations and they don't get any funding at all over there. In fact, 120 of the 274 in Western Australia don't get any funding from the state government either. Um, so in Queensland, I think there's about uh, 16 that, or I think you said 18, that carry about 20,000 people. Uh, we've got about 12,000 people over the 274, but most of those uh, by number are in you know, the top uh, 40 or 50 uh, communities. Um, so there's some very large ones, but we need to understand that some of these are remote, uh, some of these are only um, seasonal, some are very small, not distinct from someone's private residence on a, on a pastoral lease, for example. And uh, that's one of the reasons why, uh, for those communities, uh, you know, less than 10, we are saying, and that get very minimal funding now from state government. They might get a, a diesel rebate or something from time to time, um, but over time uh, we'll transition those to self-sufficiency. But that shouldn't be a threat to anybody because uh, in many cases they're seasonal now. Uh, but our focus is on the bigger centres where there's opportunities, ensuring we've got a pathway to education, uh, choices that they have that they haven't got now, uh, and uh, opportunities, which is uh, so very important to engage in the economy. And that's taking up partnerships, uh, whether it's with the pastoral industry and uh, mainstream services. That's right. Um, you know, besides, um, it doesn't matter where you live, everyone accesses services. So services of health and uh, education um, are available to everybody wherever they live. What we're talking about in some cases is municipal services um, that, that are either non-existent or, or you know, in poor form. In the bigger centres, we have to start investing in that. We're taking a systematic approach to it. This uh, roadmap gives us guidance to that. But I guess more importantly, we're trying to offer choices for people that otherwise are trapped in a welfare trap of living in social housing, homes west housing, in isolated areas. Even if they want to move, they can't. Uh, we want to give those choices, and that's what the transitional housing, the $200 million Royalty to Regions funded transitional housing programs is all about. Mm -hmm. Mr. I was playing a game with myself last night, counting on my biggest, um, perhaps one of the 10 communities that, you're going to be working with. Can you tell us what communities they could be? Oh, I, I, I'm not able to. I, I can't name communities now. But the roadmap gives us guidance to the principles that government's using. I think um, people should walk away from the roadmap with some certainty. Uh, about the fact that they're not going to wake up tomorrow and someone's going to be saying that there's, their community is going to be closed. We're not going to be saying to anyone that you have to move or change or shift. Connection to land is very important for Aboriginal people, so uh, we're giving certainty in this. But we're also laying out where future work needs to go. We're also putting pretty significant investment next to this to develop opportunities to uh, deal with some of those causal issues so that in a decade's time, hopefully we'll look back and see that we've actually shifted the dial a bit. We've actually got more kids that have reached year 12 level. We've got less overcrowding in houses. We've got more opportunities uh, that you know, young mums have with their, with their family, better quality focused services. 
and uh, opportunities to have educational pathways and employment pathways that weren't there before. So that's the goal, that's the vision. It's pleasing that we've got a, a good level of support from the Aboriginal communities now. And this is a good, good goal and vision for the next couple of years to begin with? Yes, this is uh, the the work doesn't stop now. The reform unit's in place for two years. I expect it probably won't stop then, but we need to reassess it at that point. Um, there's a lot of work uh, being done to get in probably the last eight months um, a vision uh, that has the support, the broad support. Um, there will always be people that uh, you know, may want to challenge it, and I think uh, I've said from the outset that this is easy to torpedo or throw an air, like a hand grenade into, but the consequence of that is we finish up with the status quo, which everyone is telling us is not acceptable. So this is about moving forward, it's about opportunity, and it's about our young kids, which is our greatest investment. So it's just working on what's been listed in that report. I couldn't believe how long it was, but I suppose a lot to work through. We've um, we've done a lot of work um, to, to have something that is robust. Um, and, and Sandy, it doesn't have all the answers. And no one pretends to have all the answers. Government certainly doesn't. Um, but we know that um, at least we have something that uh, is a compilation of, of a range of views. Uh, we've made some early investments where we know things work. It's evidence-based. Um, but we're pointing the finger at uh, future directions and future work that we know needs to happen to get better outcomes. So there's a fair bit to do yet. And, um, and I'm so pleased that at least we have something to start with, whereas before we had nothing. Uh, this is giving us guidance to that and, uh, and a pretty significant investment decision alongside it. Minister, thank you for your time this morning. Absolute pleasure, Sandy. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Making the most of a conversation I had with the minister a little earlier on, Terry Redmond, the minister for development, also a leader of the National Party here in Western Australia.